This is the MG Car Club Podcast. This week, the future of MGZs and their parts with Scott Biddlecombe from Discount MG Rover Spares. The MG Car Club Podcast. Hello, welcome to another MG Car Club podcast on Bank Holiday Weekend here in the UK. Wayne Scott with you. Hope you keep him well and hope you're just about recovered from the epic event that we had at the foot of the Malvern Hills. The Triumph and MG show, of course, and the MG Car Club members, well, they did themselves proud. There was a phenomenal display of MGs from all eras. And I was hosting the live arena with Sam Coleman and we covered every single era of MG's history from the very beginning in the 1920s right the way through to the latest MG HS EVs. We had some stunning T-types, Y-types. We had some really early PA midgets in the arena. We had one of the genuine cream cracker cars there at the show as well. And of course, there was our anniversaries, the 60th anniversary of the MG Midget. We had loads of them covering every single design phase of the MG Midget you could ever imagine from a very, very early one, like really early, through to one of the very last with the 1500 engine and its rubber bumpers, all in amazing condition, all with amazing stories to tell and with amazing owners wanting to share those stories with us. One of the highlights for me was a Rover V8 powered MGA that came in under the British V8s presentation we did. Phenomenal beast that was. We had not one, but two X-Power SVs that joined us in the arena. And the biggest display by far, it outstripped every single other thing that we did, and I suppose it was to be expected. It was the 20th anniversary of the MGZs. There were ZTTs, there were ZTs, there were ZT260s, there were ZRs, ZSs of every shape, every customization, every color you could imagine. Some real rarities there as well, some beautiful colors, and of course, a collection of monograms as well. There was a 51 Street, as they called it. Of course, all of the cars from the very first year of production for the MGZs. It was just an amazing spectacle and a real privilege for myself and Sam to be presenting that live arena and interviewing all of you and hearing all of your stories about what you do with your MGs and how much pleasure they give you. We will be able to share some of those videos from those re we will be able to share some of the video from the arena over the coming weeks via the MG Car Club Facebook pages and YouTube channels. All that's been edited as we speak, and that's just what we need to cheer us up as we go into winter. And you can see the full event report, including all of the concourse results and the results of our art competition, plus all of the ins and outs of what happened at the event in the next edition of Safety Fast magazine out at the beginning of September. It really was a momentous occasion where fans of two great British marks came together to share their passions together under one event. Three great car clubs, of course us, the MG Car Club, the TR Register and the TSSC, putting on an event for everyone to come together and enjoy their shared passions. And some friendships were made that will last a long time, I think, during that weekend, especially over the fantastic evening entertainment that we enjoyed with live music and local ales as well. Everyone, uh, everyone got involved with that. And amazing how many people were camping on site as well, braving the elements to enjoy the party festival atmosphere of the Triumph and MG show. It takes place at Stafford next year, the 21st, and the 22nd of August, 2022. Hopefully, you'll be able to join us for that as well. 
But for now, enjoy the pictures of this year's show on the website mgcc.co.uk on the news pages there and in the September issue of Safety Fast magazine. And we'll enjoy some of the video footage from the live arena over the coming weeks. Keep your eyes peeled on the MG Car Club socials for all of that. Also, MG Car Club are delighted to announce the return of a very popular team relay race for classic cars at Snetterton, traditionally held at the end of the season once all the championships have been resolved. This race always attracts an eclectic mix of cars from those that race with the club during the course of the year, with teams fielded by the MG Championships and by guests including this year Morgan and Equipe. After many requests, it's been found possible to revive this race for 2021, which will see teams of two to three cars race on the 300 circuit at Snetterton for 90 minutes on Sunday the 12th of September. It costs just 600 quid a team to enter. There are awards for the top three teams overall, and there's going to be a handicap result with up to eight classes to compete in, giving all competitors an opportunity to end their year with some trophies as well as enjoying some fun club-level racing and some stories of glory to tell over the winter. You can find the application form by going to the motorsport pages of mgcc.co.uk. Just click on the motorsport button and it will take you straight to the news pages where you can find the application form for that. It is the MG Car Club End of Season Relay and it's taking place this coming Sunday the 12th of September. Also up there on the MG Car Club website, you can find the results of the California Cup that was, of course, also held at the Triumph and MG weekend at Malvern a couple of weeks ago. Wow, it was fiercely competitive, I can tell you that. And I have to say, I heard some of the feedback from some of the Triumph guys who'd never seen the California Cup before. They were blown away. On the Saturday, we had the full-blown California Cup. On the Sunday, there was a sort of informal auto test for people to come and have a practice, have a go and enjoy auto testing within the event. But that California Cup on the Saturday morning, it never fails to deliver. What a phenomenal spectacle of driving there was, especially, I have to mention the midgets. They are always amazing to watch. They kind of dance like a ballerina around the cones. Amazing stuff. And again, we did get some lovely video footage that we'll be putting out on the MG Car Club socials of that as well. A full list of all the winners and the trophy getters is available on the website now at mgcc.co.uk. But a huge thank you to everyone who took part in that. Congratulations to all the competitors and a massive thanks as well to Noel Linford and his team for putting on a spectacular competition this year. Now, if you fancy a bit of retail therapy, I'm not going to let you down because we've got lots of good stuff appearing constantly, in fact, in the MG Car Club shop. And I could have done with this whilst I was camping on the Three Counties showground at Malvern just the other week. It is the MG Wash and Toilet Bag. Oh yes, if you need a wash bag and you want to be branded and looking cool in the campsites or perhaps in your posh hotels if you're more that sort of person, you can get them now online. They are luxurious ones, I have to say, with plenty of space for all your bits and bobs and everything you need when you go away for the weekend. It is the MG Wash Bag and you can find it on the MG Car Club shop right now. Also, some lovely artwork. I mentioned the winners of the artwork competition that are available to look through on the website now. But uh, we've got some lovely stuff you can buy as well. And uh, we've got an artist that has commissioned some work with us uh, by the name of Lorna Sison. Uh, she's done all sorts of beautiful artwork for the MG Car Club, including the design work that you would have seen on the bandanas and the face coverings that have been available for some time now. Well, all of those designs are now available as a poster 
and it will look great on the garage wall, perhaps to brighten up the bedroom, maybe even the living room, wherever you like it, really. You can get those on the MG Car Club shop as well. Just £15 for the poster, and they look great in any kind of frame. Get your own frame to suit your own decoration. It'll all work out lovely. Uh, you can find the links to those products very easily via the description part of the podcast page at mgpodcast.uk, or indeed, you can go and search for them on the MG Car Club shop. Very easy to find that. shop.mgcc.co.uk Now, it was, of course, the 20th anniversary of the MGZs. They were one of the huge highlights of the Triumph and MG weekend at Malvern, and it's very clear to see from the sheer numbers and variety of cars that we had turn up in the live arena to celebrate those 20 years with their bubbly and the bit of cake that we gave them, that the MGZ community is stronger than ever. And proof of that is in our next interview with Scott Biddlecombe, who's going to talk us through how he and his business discount MG Rover spares are promoting the MGZ range and investing a huge amount of time and money in ensuring that the parts we need to keep those cars on the road are forever available. Scott Biddlecombe is next. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centers and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at MGCC. Dot go, dot UK. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club Podcast. On this week's MG Car Club Podcast, we're talking to one of the staunch supporters of the MG Car Club and one of those key people in the trade that keeps our cars on the road. And uh, we'll find out more of the story behind the business that uh, our next guest recently took over. Welcome to the podcast, please, Scott Biddlecombe. Hiya, Scott. And how you doing? Very good, thanks. Great to have you on the podcast. Well, you've been in this business really since 2019, haven't you, when you uh, took it over from your old pal. So tell us the story of how you, you came to be running at Discount MG Rover Spares. So I'd known Matthew, the uh, the previous owner, for a num- yeah, many, many years. Back in 2019, we were doing a few car shows together and we um, we were at a show called Modified Nationals. We'd had a bit of a conversation and Matt basically grown the business to a point where he could... It was difficult for him on his own to uh, to sort of uh, keep it all together. Uh, it's all about growing him. And uh, yeah, basically, I took the business over from Matt 2019. After, uh, when we were at a car show, basically, I decided to go and do it. And um, yeah, I you know, officially uh, took over on the 29th of July uh, 2019. And I've been doing it ever since. Fantastic. A great show, the Modified Nationals, of course, held at the East of England showground at Peterborough. And I I have been to those events many times in the past. They can be a little bit hairy and crazy, the Modified Nationals. So was it was it a drunken decision we're talking about here, Scott? Was this was this whilst gathered round a barbecue very late at night? <laughs> Um, I, 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 my, my professional uh, side of me says that no, but um, the, uh, the the real truth is um, 
I think I think the atmosphere uh, where we were at the time made me a little bit more relaxed than I would have otherwise have been before <laughs> I sort of committed to it. So, but yeah, no, it, uh, I know Mod Nats very well. I've, I've been many a time, and unfortunately, it is uh, one of those atmospheres where you uh, sort of do have a few drinks, I think, and uh, creativity and uh, whatnot does um, really flow. Yeah, but of course, the reason it does is you are as passionate about our cars as we are. And I think that's important when you're running a business like you've got, because you've really got to know and love the cars that your customers bring to you, haven't you? I've been in the MG scene for about a decade. And I we've currently got eight, uh, nine cars total in the fleet, um, eight of which are MG Rover. Um, and most of them work. And we've got the entire... 2005 uh, model year collection so um, yeah I, I live and breathe them I do live and breathe them and of course it does go back in generations of your family doesn't it and, and in particular I know you were inspired by your grandfather weren't you into the car business you are well informed uh, <laughs> my my grandfather so he was a shipbuilder and back before you know his father before him used to be an engineer for Jaguar and um, that was that side of the family and my granddad always owned rovers and I don't know I just I always liked them and um, so you know, I you know he was an older man I'm a younger man and I always preferred the MG side of the division and then I got into the ZS's to start with um, so yeah he's he's got a lot to answer for my late grandfather mm. As is your brother, I understand, because didn't it also start with a, a Goodwood Green ZR that your brother bought? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, no, at the time, uh, this was when I was about, oh, about 18 or 19. I, ha I had my second car, which was just a Vauxhall Corsa that my parents had bought me because my first one had decided to expire. Um, and he bought a Goodwood Green ZR uh, 1.8120 on a 54 plate and it was one of those things he was younger than me he had a faster car than me you uh, know it he got a much better deal than me and you know, I, was, I was sat there thinking well this is silly isn't it you know and so <laughs> you know on the back of that I went and bought my first ZS but funny enough that very car I now own oh, so really? <laughs> that very first ZR from 10 or so years ago I now own that car early memories of that car stuff you did to it stuff you rated on it what was the plan with it i love that car <laughs> my uh, i will tell you a story i um so my my first zs uh rx55 bhn was the number plate and it was a 1.8120 and my other half who i'm with now i was actually dating at the time and she turned around to me and she said i love that car more than her um <laughs> and um yeah but uh yeah unfortunately we split up for a few years and we're back together now which is quite nice but uh that car i adored i absolutely adored it it was um i did the tf135 uh engine conversion so basically i i got the cams and the uh, uh valves and uh, not valves sorry the uh, valve springs and 52 mil throttle body etc from a tf135 um i had a twin tip exhaust on it I put the X-Power springs on it, um, decked out the interior. It was a really, really nice car. Did you have a Lotus cam cover? That was the done thing at that time. 
<laughs> I did have a Lotus cam cover, yeah. <laughs> I did, I did, I did have a Lotus cam cover. Um, I bought that from a chap called Lee Stott, from, for, I think for about 70 quid, I seem to remember. But um, yeah, I, uh, I had all of those sort of things. Yeah, Lotus cam cover. Oh, I miss that car. And Lovely. proof, of course, that these can be really reliable cars. What I love about the Z range as well, especially within the MG Car Club, we cater for so many different cars, many of yep. which now are either treasured possessions, they have to sort of only come out on sunny days, or there's a, they're two-seaters, or especially yep. with the pre-war stuff, triple M cars. You know, you yep. do have to sort of psych yourself up, really, to drive them in modern traffic. But the Z range are MGs that you could still use every single day and cover some big mileage in them if they're well-maintained. And and, yeah. and you covered big mileage in yours, presumably, as well. Oh, well, I mean, that, that first one, I bought with 70-odd thousand on it. And by the time um, I got rid of it, that had about 120,000 on it. And it was perfectly reliable. Um, no issues with that one. My green 180, um, that one I've done 60 odd thousand miles in it. Um, you know, the ZR, you know, I daily that. Um, so when I rebuilt the engine in that, that's been as good as gold. You know, if you maintain the cars and you understand the engines, particularly the K series engine, they will be perfectly reliable. There's no good reason why they won't be. You know, if, as long as you actually understand why they fail, when they fail, you know, they're perfectly good. Mm. Well, I can hear people saying, "Yeah, but you know, you won't have restored a car like uh, like I've done with my 1960s MGB." But of course, mm -hmm. to say that they would be wrong because I know that you did drag a very special ZS out of a scrapyard, didn't you? It has, yeah. Um, the MG Car Club actually, you know, did do a, a bit of a feature on this car a couple of years ago, and this this one's the one that a lot of people know me for, and that is my Mark II monogram biomorphic zs180 and yeah i i pulled that out of a scrapyard in march 2015 and um it's been rather treasured ever since i've spent a five figure sum sorting it out um it's been everywhere the paint looks lovely the interior is lovely on it the engine is eager and it's 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 had an awful awful lot of work done on it and you know as a testament it's uh you know how good it now is it, it passed its mot with no advisories recently even though it's now on 158,000 miles amazing well it just shows again that uh they are starting to have their day the mgz's and in their anniversary year 2021 20 years on since their launch uh, when, of course, yeah. MG Rover was formed and went about resetting the MG brand in 2001, they yeah. are starting to be certainly accepted as modern classics now. So what is owning one like? What's the best advice you can give to people who are maybe buying one as a, a sort of classic car they can run every day? And what are the things, the pitfalls that they should be looking out for? That's a difficult one because, I mean, obviously, with the, with the late Z cars, ZR, ZS, ZT, they're all very, very different cars. ZR hasn't quite hit that status yet, in my opinion. It will do. Um, it certainly will. Um, 160s in particular, they're starting to go up. Obviously, anything K-series engine-related, you've got to do your research. You absolutely must. Clutch cables on them, they're problematic you know um, they need to be addressed as well rusty arches that's the main thing on a ZR the actual bodies are pretty good um, sometimes they'll get a bit rusty under the side skirts if it's a side skirt model 
but otherwise that's okay. But suspension on a ZR is generally very reliable. Um, the gearbox, the PG1 gearbox in particular, is very, very good. Um, the small engines had an R65 and an IB5 box, um, and they're okay. But, um, you know, it's one of, again, maintain it. You look after your car, and it will look after you. Um, if I was going to say to anybody looking at a ZR, I would personally recommend trying to get a 160 or a diesel. The L-series engine is a very, very, very good engine in them. Very, very good. Interesting. And ZS is um, my personal favourite out of the, the Z lineup. Um, you know, Mark 1s are starting to creep up. Mark 2 prices, particularly Mark 2 ZS 180 saloons, are starting to go up in price a lot now. Um, good examples. There, there, there's one that just sold for £10,000. It was a very special one, mind. But, um, you know, you, could, you, you wouldn't be surprised to find ZS's, good ZS, Mark II 180s on the market now for about between four and £7,000. I can list quite a few. But, you know, timing belts on the KV6 engine, that's really crucial. It's 90,000 miles or six years, whichever comes first. Um, and make sure that whoever timed them knew what they were doing. Um, service history. Oil changes on a KV6 are absolutely critical. Um, they tend to blow up bottom ends if if uh, if the oil's not been well uh, well serviced, and I've experienced that twice myself from previous owners not servicing the car properly. Um, you know, we're talking about suspension. They do tend to have a bit of rust um, on the front jacking points, uh, the rear near side wheel arch, and the uh, the front legs uh, behind the uh, the struts. They tend to get a little bit of rust there as well. Um, but otherwise, the Honda-derived suspension is extremely good, extremely robust on them. The coils and the uh, the shocks are generally very reliable. That original Delphi setup is 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 quite dependable. Um, but the electrics, you know, BCUs, they they the relays and those tend to um, tend to fail, and then you get things like your driver's window not working, or your horns or your fog lights not working, for example. But again. It's a nice, easy, cheap repair. And to keep these cars on the road, if you do the basic stuff, it's not very expensive. And then you've got the ZT75s. they a little bit more complicated, a little bit heavier on their suspension, and you know, particularly manuals, um, they tend to eat clutches. And the reason is, is the slave cylinder, the concentric slave cylinder design is rubbish. <laughs> um, it's unfortunately it was never really quite strong enough um for the car particularly on diesel and v6 models 1.8s are not so bad they're much lighter on them um but yeah so with the, with, with zt75s um generally speaking it's just a case in point of look at the rear, uh, the sills look at the particularly the rear upper arms they tend to rot we we uh, at dmgrs invested a huge amount in rear upper arms having our own ones made um, uh, because we, we saw it was such a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, sort of absorbers, the springs, they tend to snap springs. Um, and it entirely depends how lucky you are with the captive nuts in the subframe. Sure. So if the captive nuts in the subframe um, aren't seized to the bolts and the uh, outer link ball on the hub isn't seized to the bolt, then you can do it quite easily. It's not too much of a problem. Problem, but um, you know, it's, it's one of those. It could go really well. It, it could be a, a, a job that takes a day or two. 
One of the jobs that always I thought could catch the new owner out if they were starting to get into the mechanics and maintaining one as a kind of hobby car was the fact that on the ZR that I had, um, I had to, as is often the case, do the head gasket change on it. And of course, in order to remove the cylinder head, all of the studs must come out. And it was only later on that I was um, reliably informed that, of course, the studs, the stretch bolts that hold the cylinder head on also actually bolt into the shells that bolt to the crank and hold the crank in. Now, if you drop those studs too fast down the holes when you put your cylinder head back on, you can actually knock the shells straight off the crank and into the sub, which causes you all sorts of nasty problems. There are a few little complications like that to keep an eye out on if you are going to be doing some quite in-depth and intricate work on a on a Z car, aren't there? You have to do the reading up, and this is what is understanding a K series is so critical. Um, there's lots of write-ups about you know head gasket choices on K series because for a long time, for a very long time, it was perceived that the only only solution to a K-series head gasket failure was an MLS head gasket. And that was, that was the wisdom that was um, in the market for a very long time. And it's simply not true. I mean, it's a very, very good gasket. One of mine's got an MLS gasket on it. And, but you have to make sure that your cylinder liners are perfectly within tolerance. And the cylinder head is, 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 has got a mating face good enough to take them. Because, you know, otherwise you will be doing the job again very, very soon. Mm. And why do you think the head gaskets do fail so often? Is it a lack of maintenance often on the cooling system side? Or is there a, is there a source of that problem that we know of now? There's some bits that are intrinsically linked to the design of the engine that aren't particularly clever. But there's, there are some maintenance factors as well. We do have customers that have got over 200,000 miles on their K-series engines that have not had a head gasket failure. I will admit that is a rarity, but you know the original polymer bead, the elastomer bead that went round the uh, LVB 000230 gasket, um, and that's how sad I am, I know the part numbers. <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't very strong. And there's two, there's, there's two things that really degrade that bead. Um, one is heat. Um, so they usually fail on the exhaust side if they're going to fail anywhere. And secondly, OAT coolant, organic acid technology coolant, has, it, it eats rubber like an enzyme. So what it does, it slowly breaks down that, um, the, uh, the elastomer bead. Now, the later revisions of that gasket, that type of gasket, the elastomer, um, the BW750, had a reinforced bead, and they are a little bit more resilient to um, that sort of uh, failure than what they used to be. You know, you could happily expect another 15, 20 years out of a, an elastomer gasket now. Hmm. Um, but you know the thermostat location is not very clever um, the 9.8 high tensile bolt wasn't really applicable it should have been 10.9 to start with um, you know the uh, lower oil rail they tend to crack and when they crack they lose a lot of their rigidity and obviously the head bolts bolt straight into this oil rail right in the bottom of the engine um, so you know when if they crack and they've lost a lot of their rigidity then the engine loses its block rigidity stiffness and you know there's there's all sorts of things and again people who skim the cylinder heads for no reason you, the, you when you skim the cylinder head you're losing a lot of that hardened face and the more you skim the more you lose you know and then you just end up with a really soft cylinder head. there's a lot of re there's a lot of reasons why k-series can suffer problems but you know it's it, it can all be mitigated and if you do it properly, you should only experience a head gasket failure once. 
As the 2000s went on and the Z range hit the market, the management buyout that MG Rover had done to extract themselves from BMW ownership uh, started to bite. The finances were never very good. They were always on a shoestring. And the problem is that manifested itself in the Mark IIs, having less equipment, some cheaper materials being used in their construction. As we look back on that era, and as we consider those cars as classic cars now, as playthings to buy, if you like, to be cherished... Does it make a big difference, a Mark II over a Mark One? Are they cars to be avoided or are they cars to be embraced? So, I mean, the, 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 the process of cheapening materials was, was quite well known as Project Drive. Uh, Project Drive came around in, in really late 2001, 2002. So a lot of the late Mark One cars suffered with the same issue as well early. But in my opinion, I mean, anybody who knows me will, will you know, and looked at my fleet, I'm a Mark II man, okay? Um, Mark IIs, yes, the interior quality and some of the plastics were not particularly brilliant. Um, and yes, you can tell the difference. If I go into a pre-Project Drive 51 plate car and then I jump into my 2005 car it's you yeah and you start touching the materials and flicking the switches you can tell it's not as much of a quality product um but it doesn't bother me not even remotely because the best thing about these cars is the way they sound the way they go the way they uh, drive and the people in this scene are what make the cars. So if I've got a slightly more rattly dashboard than Joe Bloggs in his 51 plate, it doesn't bother me. And in my opinion, it's only my opinion, but I much prefer the Mark II styling on the cars. I was going to say that think, that should be the deciding factor. Buy what you you like the look of, and it might just be that you like the look of the styling on those later cars. They do have a more aggressive know. stance, don't they? They do. I think Professor Peter Stevens, I think he did a particularly good job. I mean, you look at his portfolio, and you know he he was he's the one who did the McLaren F1, you know, which is a is an icon. Um, and I think you know the cars have aged very very well. And they're starting to, you know, you're getting people now that would have joked about the cars and sort of not even given them a second look 15 years ago are now actually saying, actually, that's a pretty good looking car. And it's actually quite capable. Oh, it's got really good handling. Oh, this is interesting. So they're starting to lose some of that, um, that negative press that they once had. Always unfair negative press, I always thought. I remember seeing my very first Z. It was outside the Corn Exchange in Leeds in about 2001, early 2002. It was yellow. It was a ZS. And I thought it was the most stunning thing the British motor industry had ever produced. It was an exciting time for MG. And I remember being excited by it at the time as someone who was just going off to university for the first time and sort of, you know, heading out into the world, if you like, at that point in my life. And and I always associate those cars with that time. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think uh, history will look back with kindness on the Z because, as you say, we are very good at battering the British motor industry. Even when we do something awesome like the MGZ range, for some reason, we just love to batter it. It's a mystery, isn't it, really? I, I, I think it's the self, you know, it's, it's the whole thing of, you know, it, we should laugh at ourselves because, you know, that's, that's the done thing. And I think the perception that these, you know, by some were bad cars is completely unfair. Um, you know, just got to look at, you know, the fact that, you know, they are massively adored by their owners. Um, they, 
had fantastic handling. You know, generally speaking, the equipment was fine. The performance figures were on par with what was around at the day. You know, as a whole, they were a fine offering. But I think the fact that they were slightly strangled by budgetary restraints after BMW literally scourged the company, uh, it all came a little bit too late, maybe. And, you know, the Z cars were, you know, by their very nature, rovers underneath. I think a lot of people couldn't get past that. At the end of the day, if you look back at what was available to you in the new car market at the time, you could have gone out and bought a Corsa, slightly hotted up one from Vauxhall. Everyone had mm -hmm. them. They weren't particularly exciting. And your nan had the 1.4 model to go to the shops in. You had the Peugeots. You had the Volkswagen Golf, of course. But everyone owned one of them. And the colours were boring. The thing about the MG range was it was sort of a, a dare-to-be-different statement. They had bright, vivid colours. Uh, they had... <laughs> all sorts of crazy paint that prior to that had only ever really been seen on tvrs let's be honest and they were british made and something just a little bit quirky and i think that is what has endeared them to the classic car world because that's the sort of thing that when you're looking for a classic car when you're looking at something that tugs the heartstrings that's what what makes us take these cars to our heart isn't it at the end of the day no i agree with that the under the underdog thing is is particularly prevalent and um i've i've you you sometimes have to defend them but with the cut with these cars when you actually knuckle down into it there's actually quite a lot of substance there for you to be able to defend them you know i mean all of mine particularly of very bright colors <laughs> as well i've only just realized you know um there's not a single gray or a black here anywhere um yeah i mean I just realize that so yeah i'll agree with you on that so uh, going back to the business then um you're obviously the man to come to when it comes to Z parts. You have, you know, unrivaled knowledge really of having lived and breathed the cars yourself. So at the moment, as they go into this sort of difficult transition phase between being an old car and a classic car, which I think is yep. fair to say they're right in the middle of at the moment, where are the pain points in terms of parts supply at the moment and, and how are you getting around it? So the main sticking points with the ZR are um, mainly suspension related. Um, there haven't been any new dampers. I always expect dampers available for the ZR for a long time. Um, bit of good news on that one. There may be something coming to market very shortly, so keep your eyes open for that. Um, other areas with the ZR, you know, we're talking bodywork. Front wings are available. That's the main sticking point with the ZR. But the rear arches, that's a problem. So the rear arches, you're going to probably have to have, you know, some fabricate and make some panels for that. Um, mechanically underneath, though, they're quite reliable. Not too bad. Radiators are available. Condensers are available. Exhaust components are available. So it's all, it's not too bad with the ZR. Um, less and less body panels are becoming available. But, you know, there's still quite a, quite a good secondhand supply. The ZS then, uh, slightly easier in one sense because there was a lot of honda parts there but slightly more difficult i guess on body panels because they were rarer in number so for every zs that was made there was about three zrs made mm. so that's that's the first big issue with the zs um secondly yeah you're absolutely right the honda components that are uh, cross compatible are readily available um and there is a lot out there we do supply some of it in order to make sure people can stay on the road but because all zs production in any form stopped in 2005 unlike the zr which continued in china as the mg3 sw for a number of years 
ZS production stopped altogether in 2005, and a lot of the components haven't been made since. So, you know, suspension, rear springs, not available. Um, shock absorbers, genuine OE spec ones, not available. Rear lower arms, not available. So there's, there's a lot on ZSs, which is genuinely problematic. Um, we are working with companies at the moment to bring stuff back to market. And we did just complete a project uh, for a power steering pipe on ZS-180s that always fails. Um, and that's been no longer available new for a long time. So that one's now come back to market. But we are looking further. Radiators as well, they're not available new anymore for a ZS-180. Um, and condensers. So we are... <laughs> going to be doing quite a lot of work as a business over the next year or two to identify these key sticking points and actually offer a fairly good value option for people in order to be able to keep these cars on the road but um yeah zs is i i sympathize with any owner trying to keep a zs on the road on the road particularly a 180. wow it, there's there's a real lesson there isn't there that unless businesses like you are supported and especially if, uh, you know, we as the car club, as the MG Car Club, don't act on our Save Our Zeds campaign. And, and if we can't yeah. drum up enough support, um, we really do need to do that in order to keep these cars on the road. Because ultimately, the part supply is what makes that possible. I suppose in one, in one sense, that it's never been easier to reproduce parts from scratch because we have things like 3D printing for prototyping. We've got 3D scanning to be able to take a, an example of a part and scan in all the dimensions in order to make a, a reproduction part much more yep. accurately and cheaply. But I mm -hmm. guess there is a pain point in, in the fact that the engineering companies and the manufacturing houses are fewer on the ground. So there's not so many factories you can get to take on small run projects like this. Yeah, I mean, that is a critical factor. Um, so we, as a business, not only are looking at getting these bits remade, but we're trying to bring as much of it, the manufacturing side, back to the UK. And there's a lot of benefits to that. Um, and I, I'm not going to, I'm a bit of a flag waver, but I'm not going to make a big deal out right now. But, you know, there are a lot of benefits to trying to do that. But, you know, just a lot of small businesses, very difficult to communicate with you know you might send them an email and a week later they might come back to you with another question and then you know you're sort of four five six weeks down the line with an idea and then you're starting to lose heart with it and you, it's it can be really quite difficult to just you get stuff remade and then the tooling cost as well for a lot of stuff um but you know in terms of uh, uh trim pieces and whatever else that can be 3D printed or sort of small mechanical components that can be 3D printed. I, th I do genuinely think that there is a way forward with that. And I think there is a, a possibility that over the next year or two, we're gonna see a lot more coming back onto the market um, for stuff that's been in LA for 10 years. That's great news. And I guess the other point to make here is that it's very easy because the cars are relatively cheap People buy them thinking they're going to be relatively cheap to keep running. And then perhaps when a business like yours has gone to all of that expense and investment to recreate a part that is essential to keeping those cars on the road, they naturally yep. come with a higher cost. And I guess the message is support those parts. Don't complain too much about the price of them because ultimately the huge amount of work and investment that's gone into making it is why it costs yep. what it costs. Well, I'll give, I'll give you an example. I mean, this was a, so we, the, the rear upper arms on the ZT, okay, so it's, it's one of the most notorious suspension components um, on, on those cars. 
And so we, we decided that we wanted our own made. And that one project for that one part cost us over 37,000 pounds. You know, so, you know, for a small business, that is a massive, massive investment. You know, the good thing is for us, that project is paying back. And that project, the money from that is going to go into other projects to keep other bits, you know, back coming back in. So I can't give you the details, but there is a project on the ZR that we're currently engaging in. And it's a really big one. And it's a really important one in my mind. You know, I can't give details at the moment, but there will be an announcement in the coming weeks. And it's another critical component that's been no longer available new for a number of years. So we're investing, you know, a five digit sum in that as well. Well, it's fantastic news to see that not only you're prepared to do that, but obviously as a business, you feel there is a market there to support it on the other side. And that's got to be a great accolade for the MGZ yeah. and, uh, and a good hope for the future, I guess, as well. Well, I hope so. I mean, the business itself has nearly doubled in size in the last two years, you know, which is, you know, it surprised me. I'll be honest with you. It surprised me. Um, there is a real appetite and a really, really strong appetite for people now who really want to keep these cars on the road. And now what we're trying to do is, you know, uh, level up the cars. We're trying to make them more desirable. And this is why I do a lot of posting with my cars, you know, to say, this is what I've done. What do you think about it? You know, I'm doing this atmosphere, monogram atmosphere ZS project at the moment. I've got my V8, you know, my ZR, you know, I'm trying to, you know, and there's a lot of people that are trying to do the same. We're just trying to create a value on the cars. So people think, well, actually, I think I will spend that money. I think I will have this done. And whether it's with me or one of my competitors or whatever else, it's fine. Yeah, at the end of the day, there's small businesses like myself and whatever else that are actually able to you know, invest in these cars. Well, we're very, very pleased to see all of the work that you're doing on the MGZs, especially in their anniversary year as we celebrate 20 years of the Z range here in the MG Car Club. And I think there's a bright future ahead for them as they move into the arena of being a historic vehicle and a cherished yeah. classic car. And I think businesses like yours, Scott, are going to be crucial to making sure that people, once they fall in love with the Z, as of course they will, they're able to keep them on the road as well. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It benefits me directly because if I've got more people to sell to, the better I'll do. But that's a rather selfish way of looking at it. At the end of the day, when I go to a show, I like to talk to people about their cars. I like seeing the different cars. And, you know, I think it's a really... They're, they're going to be a very important part in the MG um, history and the heritage. Absolutely. So if you need MGZ parts and you need to talk to Scott, what are the details people need to get in touch with you, Scott? Okay, so um, if anybody would like to talk to us and sort of try and find bits, and if you do have parts requests that you know aren't available and you would like us to look at manufacturing, um, Discount MG Rover Spares is our business. Um, it's run by a small group of us. Um, so contact telephone number is 023 uh, Email is sales at DMGRS. .co.uk alternatively we are uh, contactable via the Facebook page and of course we'll put all the links to the website and the email address there and of course the Facebook page on the description part of this podcast at mgpodcast.uk so you can find all the links from there as well but for now Scott Biddlecombe thanks for joining us thank you very much Wayne good to talk to you subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk 